0: lord willing this time next month i'll be in israel uh, as of yesterday with eight zambians uh, to begin their master series these guys represent the top students of just about each grade from the second year the second group after gideon and justin down through two of them that finished in october they're exceptional young guys who love the lord who are academically strong and have committed themselves to uh, Christian missions and Christian education. And so it will be Lord willing. If the Lord's will wills it, uh, they'll have that opportunity to study the scriptures that they've been studying for four years in Africa, to study that on location in Israel. Uh, We've got uh, Bobby Jones is going, Lord willing, and uh, from here at LBA, and John Prater with Gospel Inc. up in Augusta are going with me, and we have our British Air tickets, and our eight Zambians have their Ethiopian tickets. Yeah, it's okay to fly on Ethiopian air. Uh, They've got their tickets. We've got a plan. We've got a guy in Israel that's going to take us around everywhere we want to go, when we want to go. Only thing we lack are eight visas, and that's the big challenge. And so, would you pray in this next week or so, we've sent money over for it, Gideon's on it Gideon's working his heart out to help this happen Uh, we need what Gideon and I call the God of the visa uh, to do what he does in these next few days for those guys to have that opportunity so would you please join in praying for that in the next few days I'll keep you posted on that now if you were to go to Israel any good trip to Israel probably on the first day Uh, You get off a plane exhausted and confused and disoriented and uh, wondering if you're going to survive. And you go to Caesarea on the Mediterranean and visit that. And from there, whisk over to Mount Carmel, to the site where Elijah had his showdown with the prophets of Baal. But probably the third spot on your trip would be where I want to take you by word of scripture and uh, by maybe a map uh, and let you experience a little bit of a place You've probably seen some real stupid movies or you've read some kind of silly prophecy books about Armageddon uh, that go way beyond what the scriptures tell us. But what we want to do this morning is just try to understand. If you haven't been with us, on Wednesday nights we've been working our way through the book of Revelation and bringing that over here on Sundays every now and then. And uh, so we have come all the way down to chapter 16, which is the the first and last and only passage on Armageddon, specifically mentioning that, that we find in the text. And so we'll be looking this morning at scripture in Scripture in chapter 16. Now we do have a map. You saw that for a second there. And I don't know if you can read uh, anything on it. I'm going to attempt to describe where this occurs and what's going on. Megiddo has been there a long time. In fact, the real truth is nobody knows when Megiddo started, but it goes way back before the New Testament age, way back before the days of King David, a thousand years before Christ. Nobody's quite sure when it started, but it started early on. And Megiddo is a tell. What a tell looks like, it looks like, uh, for you Georgians, it looks like an Indian mound. You've seen little Indian mounds in Macon. Some of you have been to northwest Georgia and seen bigger mounds, At Etowah, Uh, some of you, some of us have been uh, to the St. Louis area and the Cahokia mounds that are massive there where the Mississippi Indians built outside St. Louis on the Illinois side. Huge mounds, a the significant ones look like gigantic Indian mounds. And what would happen over the years, uh, the uncharted, unknown years of history... Uh, a, a community would build and then they would tear everything down, just pack it down and build on top of that. And at some stage that would eventually be packed down and you'd build on top of that. So that gradually the city comes up out of the sky. I grew up in Atlanta where they built skyscrapers and you would dig down instead of build up. And so you would uh, dig down to rock. The, the tells just kept building on the past. So people that like archaeology, that's the kind of thing they like. They like to get in those tells and dig down through the layers and see the layers of civilization building. Tel Megiddo is about 70 feet perhaps high over the elevation of the ground around it, which doesn't sound like a lot unless you're there. It's, it's a sizable hill or city on a hill, and it's in an incredibly strategic location. Can you read all that on that map? Anybody? Can anybody read any of that on the map? Let me just try to describe it for you a little bit. And then you go home and get out your atlases, your Bible atlases, and all your maps in the back of your Bible, and you look all this up on your own, and you'll see uh, clearly what I'm talking about. But that's the Holy Land. And uh, my laser works all the time till I get up here. Sometimes it has to warm up. You know I'm technology cursed. I checked this several times this morning. Here we go. It's warming up. Can you, the green dot there now, that was there, is the city of Jerusalem, which it, I can't... Come on now. Uh, Jerusalem is the, the uh, center of the spiritual universe. Not only do the great Bible stories occur there, it is in the crossroads of Europe, Africa... ...and Asia. And they all kind of come together there at Jerusalem. If you went up here, off the map, you'd be in modern Turkey... ...where the ancient Hittite Empire was... ...and where Turkey is today. Unbelievable. (laughs) This worked like a charm this morning. If you came down the map to the southwest... ...you'd eventually come to Egypt. And you know all about Egypt and pyramids and the empires down through the ages. If you went to the right and up to the northeast and around... ...you'd find yourself in the Fertile Crescent. And it's the green arc on your maps. And it's green because of the Euphrates River. And we're going to see John referring to that in a few minutes. And the Euphrates uh, is not only a cradle of civilization and great empires... Uh, thrived on that and you go back in biblical history through the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Persians and it's all, all of those empires it's a part of their story but the, the river the Euphrates River with its twin river the Tigris serve as a barrier from the east to the west and John's going to talk about that in a minute now uh, without laser but with you imagining From right there on the Mediterranean, you see there's a little cut in the coast down to the Jordan River that runs right there. There's a valley, and it's that area right there. And the only name they're showing in that area is Megiddo, and it's right there about halfway from the Mediterranean uh, down to the Jordan River. It's in a strategic, I mean strategic location down through history. Because everything's got to flow through there. Maybe you can see the road that's going from northeast down to the southwest. Uh, It's a great trunk road. It's their I-95 or their I-85. And if you get off the road, any trip from the Hittite world to the Egyptian world or the Egyptian world back over to Mesopotamia, any trip's going to be a mess unless you stay on that road. That's the main drag. Just like you're trying to get to Maine, Uh, From here, you don't want to get off the interstates, or you will never get there. I've experienced a little of that. You want to stay on the main drag, and the main drag from Egypt to Mesopotamia goes through Megiddo. Tell Megiddo, this mound, city on a mound, that rises up. There's a cut or a gap through the high country that runs from the Mediterranean down toward the Jordan River. And at that cut, just to the left of that, just to the west of that, is where the city sits. It's a control station. You can try to imagine uh, that city hall is Egypt and the Methodist church is Mesopotamian. The Assyrians or the Babylonians or whoever is currently in power is over there. But if you want to go from there to there, the only way that you can do it is to come through this foyer in our church and down this aisle and over and out that door. And then you can go on. So if you were able to control this aisle, you'd have a lot of control between these empires. The good news is uh, you have that control and you have those trade opportunities and that access. The bad news is that empire and that empire and that empire are all right there at your doorstep. And you're going to have to deal with those for thousands of years. Now, if I was going to try to control the map, if I was an Israeli uh, trying to control the map and I had resources to build three forts to try to do that, I'd put one in that foyer and I'd put one in that foyer and I'd put one right down here. And you'd have to come through all three of those to get to the Methodist. King Solomon ruled over Israel in the glory days of the nation. And the map never got bigger than it got in Solomon's day. They were never more united than they were in Solomon's day. They were never richer than they were in Solomon's day. That was the high water mark of old Israel in the 900s B.C. And Solomon chose three cities to build up. One, uh, dare I risk my gadget... Well, when I shine it down, it works. When I shine it up, it doesn't. But if you see the Sea of Galilee, the, the blue blob up high in the map, if you go straight above that, there's a little city there, a, a label for Hazor, H-A-Z-O-R. In Israel, you'll see road signs that are Hazor or Hadzor, H-A-D. puts a D in. And sometimes they throw in a T and it's Hadzor. But that city's been there forever. And if you go and you see the old biblical site there, the ruins of that community, you see the highway running right by it, and you see how it was built up by King Solomon as one of his three major cities to block access into his region, into his empire. If you were to go all the way down that line, down that map, uh, you would eventually go through Megiddo and down to a place called Gezer. And Gezer was important because not only was it significant and on the highway, but it was the point where you would turn off the highway to head east up to Jerusalem. So if you want to protect Jerusalem, put a fort there. And so Solomon fortifies both of those cities, and then he has his third right in the middle, Megiddo. It's a control point. Now that valley that runs from the northwest to the southeast coming through there, If you were to stand at Tel Megiddo and look north, you'd be looking across in the distant horizon at Nazareth, where Jesus grew up. Jesus was taken to be thrown over a ledge, and it was at that drop-off into the Jezreel Valley, the Valley of Megiddo. If you were to stand at Tel Megiddo today, and you stood there long enough, and you watched long enough, you'd begin to realize in all that rich farmland, it's a patchwork of farms you'd see eventually that there's an air base right in the middle of it, the Israeli Defense Force, and that's where the F-16s are. They fly F-16s out of there, and they'll suddenly appear out of bunkers, and they'll take off and just go straight up to whatever altitude they're going to go. It's an incredible thing to watch. Uh, Ben could do it. The rest of us would just marvel at it. But that's where all that is. It's a strategic military point today, right now. Uh, That's where the Air Force operates, the Israeli Air Force operates out of that and other locations. So Megiddo is a strategic point. If you were to go west of Megiddo, a short distance you'd be at Mount Carmel. There Elijah had his showdown with the prophets of Baal. And all those Hundreds of prophets are are killed there, and Elijah has his glory day, and he stands for God with power and authority. It's a political, spiritual showdown. It's a power encounter between the God of the Bible and Baal, the false deity of the day. It's a power encounter there in the Jezreel Valley, overlooking the Jezreel Valley, not far from Megiddo, this strategic point in the middle. Now, all that to say, Megiddo's a really big deal. It always has been, and if the book of Revelation's right, it will be all the way down to the end. It's where you you can get through going north-south. and It's what you go by if you're traveling east-west. It's right in the most strategic of locations with this big open valley out below it. Now, let's look together at the Scripture. Revelation 16, verse 12. And by 16... You've gone through seven churches and seven seals and seven trumpets are now blowing and the, the trumpets have uh, triggered bowls of wrath and you come down to verse 12 and the sixth angel with a bowl of wrath. I don't know what that looks like. It's all symbolism and imagery of realities. But number six comes out with his bowl and he pours it out. He says he pours it out on the great river the Euphrates that we talked about that defines that fertile crescent that uh, eastern border of and the northern borders it hooks around of Solomon's domain and its water was dried up so that they may uh, per- be prepared for the kings from the east. Now some of you read prophecy books and all the speculations about who these kings are uh, the, ki- the what it says there what john really puts down It says that the way may be dried out that uh, is the one of the ones being from the rising of the sun if you went back two generations ago and the world war ii generation it was not hard for them to leap from uh, the text of revelation 16 to japan is the land of the rising sun but that's what John really says there. They don't like to translate it that way. They always want to put down east because they don't think you can understand the rising sun. But it's, uh, the, the river, this massive ancient river, one of the great rivers of the planet, is dried up. Now, by the time you get to chapter 16, so many judgments have been poured out and the environment is devastated. It's incredible what has occurred by chapter 16. And here comes this sixth bowl of wrath and the Euphrates is dried up. And the barrier of the river Euphrates. If you ever get into military history or study in the Civil War, the rivers are a big deal, and getting across them is a big deal. Suddenly, there is no barrier. Might play into current discussion on our southern border. The, there is no barrier whatsoever now, and the kings of the rising sun are free to come with unhindered entry into Israel. And John describes that. Imagine if you lived there, if you feared that. He says, And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs. Isn't that strange? Now, we've seen before the unholy trinity of the book of Revelation, just like we have in Christian theology, the father... And Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, and the Holy Spirit, the three persons, all deity, uh, all part of the character of God, all bearing all the attributes of God. Revelation has this counter to that, this unholy trinity, that's again referred to in verse 13. The red dragon of previous chapters, the great red dragon that's there to devour. This is Satan, the imagery of Satan. And so he's there, and then there's uh, this second one, the the beast, which is the Antichrist figure, and then the third is the false prophet, the pseudo-prophet, John says. And they all have a role here, and he says, what I'm seeing in my image is all three of them are projecting something. It's like like frogs. I don't understand that. If you understand that, please explain it to me later. Uh, Other than frogs are, to a lot of people, kind of creepy, and they might connect to the plague's, of the book of Exodus in the days of Moses. But something frog-like is coming forth from this unholy trinity. It's, it's communicating to the nations of the world. I don't know. Maybe some of you will be around when that happens to see that. Or maybe we'll be able to look back from heaven and see what that looks like as it unfolds. And he says, for they are spirits of demons. It's not just... Um, fake news or, or bad ideas. This is demonic influence coming from the unholy trinity, performing signs which go out to the kings of the whole world. And when he talks about the whole world, he uses the word that we get economy from, from the inhabited world and, and man's world. All the cable news channels are picking up on whatever are left by chapter 16. They're putting out the word of this communication and it's coming across this demonic influence. And what goes out to the nations is a word, he says, to gather them together for the war of the great day of God the Almighty. John writes really to assemble them for the war of the day, that is the great one. The great one of God, that is the Almighty one. So he's kind of, he builds it and emphasizes it and punches it up. This is God's doing. So if you get concerned, if you read the book of Revelation, our family's all set, uh, a whole bunch of us going to read through the New Living Translation in 2019. And we'll be able to discuss it as we go along. If you get through that, and sometime next December, if not before, you come into the book of Revelation and you find it very troubling, know this, above all else, if you forget everything else and you don't understand anything about the book, know this, God, the God of Scripture, is the Almighty One. And all this stuff, all this confusing stuff is in his hand with absolute sovereign control. And now goes this word from demonic influences to assemble the nations to this strategic spot for a great war and God's in control. Bad influences, evil things, but God is in control. Now, verse 15 is sort of parenthetical. It's sort of an aside. And it's Jesus speaking to the church or to the believers. He's speaking to you. The people in John's day would experience persecution. They obviously didn't make it till this in time. You might. He says, Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps on his clothes so that he will not walk about naked and men will not see his shame. Strange verse, isn't it? Uh, now, be careful in your application of this. Don't start sleeping with your shoes on. That's, if you do that, you're missing the point. That's not what John's saying. That's not what Jesus is saying uh, through John in the book of Revelation. To be uh, unprepared here and what John's talking about is not about not having your shoes on, at 3 in the morning, because Jesus might come. It's about not being spiritually prepared. And so Jesus says, Blessed, it's like the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, blessed are the ones, or the one, watching, attentive, spiritually watching, not just watching cable news, watching for what God is doing with discernment. The one watching... And keeping his spiritual clothes on and a spirit of readiness. If I could assure you uh, somebody was going to show up and do great harm to your household tonight at 3 in the morning, you'd probably have your shoes on and your shotgun or whatever you do. The smarter ones would go somewhere else and not be there. But he says, this is about preparedness. And Jesus, in the unfolding of what's going on with these bowls of wrath, is saying, you, the believers... With the world going absolutely crazy, you the believers must be spiritually alert and watching, discerning and committed. Otherwise, uh, you might be embarrassed by your spiritual unpreparedness. Now he returns in verse 16 back to where he was in the flow of the text. These nations, now remember the Euphrates River over here is gone, the map's gone too. The Euphrates is gone, the kings of the rising sun are free to come with massive numbers. We hear the number in another passage of 200 million. I don't know, you couldn't put an army like that in the Jezreel Valley. So don't get lost in, in being too literal with this. It's, it's true stuff, but it's imagery and symbolism. But John says, and they gathered them together to the place in Hebrew, which in Hebrew is called Armageddon. This is the New American Standard. If you looked at it in the NIV, it would say that place in Hebrew is called Armageddon with no H. And the Greek text it has, the Greeks have no letter H or the equivalent of H, but they have rough breathing marks which is just as good as the letter h and you can kind of hook it around at the beginning of the first letter of a word and it throws an h sound in there and Armageddon has that in this passage and so the new american standard is the better translation which should not surprise you it doesn't surprise me but Armageddon Armageddon and there's some issues about uh, various spellings and, and places, and what that means, and is this really about Megiddo? Uh, I've come to the conclusion there's no doubt this is about Megiddo, and Har Megiddo means the Mount of Megiddo. Now, some writers that you may read will say, Well, this doesn't make sense, that can't be Megiddo because Megiddo is not really a mountain, it's just a tell. Uh, Jesus preached the sermon on the Mount on something smaller. Than Megiddo, lower than Megiddo, but it was referred to as the Mount. And so it is here. It doesn't matter how big it is, it's, what matters is its prominence. And he says the kings of the world begin to do what the kings of the world do in this crazy world that's unfolding in chapter 16, and they begin to assemble themselves at Harmageddon, at the Mount. Of Megiddo, at this place that has been for thousands of years a strategic military, economic control point. They gather together in that place. Verse seventeen really goes into the next section that's to be looked at another time. It says, "And the seventh angel poured out his bowl on the air, and a loud voice came out from the temple that's not in Jerusalem, that's in heaven. Came out of the heavenly temple from the throne saying, It is done. Or most literally, it has come to pass. It stands accomplished. All this stuff for 16 chapters, and the voice from heaven says to John, It is done. It is profoundly accomplished. The great judgment is on all this stuff, and all these kings, and all these nations. And God will show his reigning superiority. And it has something to do with Megiddo. Now how literally that takes place and that that acreage around the base of Tel Megiddo, I don't know. Time will tell. But Megiddo, because it has historically been a strategic military control point, becomes the perfect image to put on the whole story of the book of Revelation. John is saying that Jesus is saying there's going to be a blowout showdown. And it probably won't be about tanks and jets. It's going to be about the forces of good and the forces of evil. And it will be absolutely incredible. It will be terminal for evil. God will prevail. Christ will be exalted. Christ will reign supreme. He wins in the end. As if there's any doubt for us today. So the little reference here to Armageddon is a call to the church to understand when you look at things, God is really in control. Uh, There's a verse I uh, blitzed through, verse 16. It says in the New American Standard, they gathered them together. NIV says the same thing. If you were to do a study of the verb that's used there, it's in the first person singular which would be better translated, He gathered them to the place. Now, if that's true, then we're no longer talking about the unholy trinity, but God is bringing this to pass. God is in sovereign control, and He brings all these things together, uh, not for their victory, but for their defeat, for their final judgment. So here's the message of Revelation 16. Jesus wins. Jesus Christ is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and when He starts winning, nothing's going to stop it. There's no power on earth, whether it's the nations of the world, or the economies of the world, or the armies of the world, or the spiritual forces of darkness, there is nothing that can withstand the the emerging awesome power of Jesus Christ in these chapters of the Bible. Our Jesus wins. So we can begin to celebrate that already. But as you watch the news and as you live your life and you make your life choices, you need to understand that you're on a map, whether you're thinking of the Holy Land map or you're just thinking about life, you're on the playing field of the clash of good and evil. And the red dragon wants to devour you, wants to devour your home, wants to devour your church and your denomination and bring it to rubble. And Jesus says, oh no, those belong to me, and I will win. John says, it is finished, it is accomplished. Jesus says that from the cross. Uh, Revelation says that here in this paragraph, it is accomplished. So chapter 16 is an awesome chapter to me, exciting chapter. I've, I've gotten rid of most of my prophecy books because most of them... They're just taking guesses at this detail and that detail. What you really need to know are in these few verses. And Jesus is the victor. In my house upstairs at the top of the stairwell, there, there's a bunch of pictures that Wendy wouldn't want anywhere else in the house. But uh, I've claimed a wall. If you stand at the door, you can kind of look up and see a bunch of things up there. And they're things from the most uh, significant places I've been able to travel in life and Africa, and Israel, and England, and, and, and they're just kind of patched all in together up there. Things of significance to me. Uh, and this picture hangs there. And I bought that at Megiddo several years back and brought it back and framed it and put it up there with that other stuff. So if you want to see Tell Megiddo up close uh, after church, this will be down there. Just to explain it for a second, this is the mound. You can see where the archaeologists have excavated there. There's a phenomenal water tunnel uh, that somebody was asking me about before church. You descend and descend where the Megidites dug down uh, below grade level, so down 70 feet and then down into the earth. And they did that inside their walls so that the bad guys around them couldn't cut them off from water. But out here in the back, this massive green Area here that's beautiful farm country today, that's where they feed the nation of Israel is out of that valley. that's the Jezreel Valley, or Esdrelin and other places, or the valley of Megiddo. That's the site of Revelation 16. Uh, it's a beautiful place, but it is profoundly symbolic of the showdown of good and evil. So what's the take home? What's the final application? Go home and don't take your shoes off, ever. you got to be ready. Go home and watch and wait and anticipate and prepare your heart spiritually for Jesus' final victory. Don't miss any of it. It's going to be awesome. Whether I'm on planet Earth or uh, out there in glory somewhere, I want a I good seat. I watched some of those games yesterday and I'm going to watch that one Tuesday. I'm going to get excited about it. But I want a really good seat to see this unfold. And I want to say, go, Jesus, do it. Do what you promised. Do for your church what you promised. Win the victory that's yours. Seal it for all time and eternity. That's our Jesus. He's our hero. He is our victor. He's our Savior. Bow with me in prayer. Father, we're grateful this morning. For victory in Jesus. We're reminded by this little paragraph this morning that the victory is indeed that of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray for anybody who might be among us this morning who's never really made a commitment to Jesus. I pray that they might begin this next good year with that decision. I pray for a bunch of us here in the sanctuary this morning who have come to worship and fellowship. I pray that we might be called to An intensified, enhanced watching, anticipating not to watch and do nothing, but to watch while we serve until Jesus calls us out or comes. Lord, help us to be faithful as you have been faithful. We look to you in faith with thanksgiving and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.